embattled Congressman Matt Gates. Matt Gates was one of the very few members in the entire Congress who bothered to stand up against permanent Washington on behalf of his constituents. Matt Gates right now, he's a problem for the Democratic Party, and he can cause a lot of hiccups in passing the laws. So we're going to keep running those stories to keep hurting him. If you stand for the flag and kneel in prayer, if you want to build America up and not burn her to the ground, then welcome, my fellow patriots. You are in the right place. This is the movement for you. You ever watch this guy on television? It's like a machine. Matt Gates. I'm a canceled man in some corners of the internet. Many days I'm a marked man in Congress, a wanted man by the deep state. They aren't really coming for me. They're coming for you. I'm just in the way. Welcome back to Firebrand. We're broadcasting live out of room 2021 in the Rayburn House office building here at the Capitol Complex in Washington, D.C. And what a week it is set to be here in Washington. We've got a big hearing on UFOs coming up tomorrow. We've got Alejandro Mayorkas, the Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. Before the House Judiciary Committee, we've got tough questions about the state of our border and really the doctrine that Biden, Harris, and Mayorkas have put in place to ensure that if people show up on our border and they've got any sort of sad song that is pre-baked by some NGO, they get to come in the country, they never have to leave. And then the consequence of that is that they get married, have kids, those kids then by virtue of our laws are automatically citizens and that's what starts the pulling of chain migration. So I've introduced legislation to end birthright citizenship as we currently know it. And we ought to end it as we currently know it because birthright citizenship by fraud has started to predominate in a few areas and in a few industries. So let me give you the background. In 2021, 400,000 anchor babies were born in the United States, outpacing the births in 49 states. So how has it come to this? How have millions of illegal aliens managed to cross our borders illegally and break our laws? Remember, Unlawful entry into the country is a crime. It's not one we ever prosecute with any force or deterrent effect, but it is a crime. Anchor babies on our soil create this indefinite sanctuary for the parent. And that doesn't really make sense with a coordinated, organized immigration system either. So an erroneous interpretation of the 14th Amendment has found its way into the Immigration and Nationality Act and is now the law of the land. That's why I've introduced the End Birthright Citizenship Fraud Act of 2023 to amend the Immigration and Nationality Act to reflect the original intent of the drafters of the 14th Amendment. The 14th Amendment reads, quote, all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and the state wherein they reside insanely and against the wishes of many of the drafters of the 14th Amendment, the powers that be have interpreted it to give citizenship to virtually every human born on American soil. This is not a standard that is largely recognized in the modern world. And in America, the key limiting term, subject to the jurisdiction thereof, has been totally cast to the wayside and disregarded despite the Supreme Court having never ruled that the 14th Amendment grants citizenship to anyone other than children born to lawful permanent residents. 
They haven't really ruled on the meaning of the clause, particularly subject to the jurisdiction thereof. So despite what you may have heard about this unqualified birthright citizenship, it's not ensconced in the 14th Amendment. At least the Supreme Court has never said that it is. And I'm confident that if they did rule on the subject, they would find that subject to the jurisdiction thereof is a limiting clause. If it weren't in the 14th Amendment, a greater group of people would have access to this birthright citizenship, but subject to the jurisdiction thereof is clearly a limiting clause, meaning that only those subject to the jurisdiction of the United States would be granted citizenship under the 14th Amendment. Those not covered are at the mercy of Congress, whether you like it or not. And we, as the Congress, have every right to exercise power to determine rules for citizenship and naturalization. After all, Congress has this power in Article 1, Section 8, Clause 4 of the Constitution, which says, quote, to establish a uniform rule of naturalization. That is the statement of the rule in the Constitution as to Congress's powers over this area. So what does the phrase, subject to the jurisdiction thereof, mean when it comes to the 14th Amendment? It is a legal term of art, and it was understood by the drafters of the 14th Amendment to have its basis in English common law. So we have to go back now and analyze what that English common law educates us on. So the earliest known case to articulate this in England, uh, it was agreed that statuses of subject and alien, two different things, a binary choice, that those were determined by whether a person was born owing an allegiance to the sovereign. That actually kind of makes sense in old world England. Whether a person at birth is under the allegiance and obedience to the sovereign is not determined by whether his foreign-born parent is subject to territorial jurisdiction of prosecution. Hardly. The operative question is whether or not the parent is present in the territory lawfully, permanently, not only voluntarily availing himself to the jurisdiction thereof, but doing so with the explicit consent of the sovereign. Senator Howard, when proposing this language to be included in the 14th Amendment, made reference to these English common law concepts. He clarified his intent that citizenship should not be conveyed to everyone born or present in the United States when he stated, quote, this will not, of course, include persons born in the United States who are foreigners, aliens, who belong to the families of ambassadors or foreign ministers accredited to the United States government, but will include every other class of persons. Senator Lyman Trumbull, a key figure in the adoption of the 14th Amendment, said that subject to the jurisdiction of the United States meant not owing an allegiance to any other country. Owing an allegiance to the United States and being subject to its complete jurisdiction means not subject to any foreign power. And it excludes those only temporarily present in the country, whether lawfully or unlawfully. The 14th Amendment's framers intended to give citizenship only to those who owed their allegiance to the United States and were subject to its complete jurisdiction. Primarily, newly freed slaves would qualify. They were lawful, permanent residents. The 1866 Civil Rights Act further clarified that the 14th Amendment did not apply to temporary visitors or those who remained the citizen or subject of a parent's home country when it stated, quote, all persons born or naturalized in the United States 
and not subject to any foreign power, excluding Indians not taxed, are hereby declared to be citizens of the United States. You notice the exclusionary language in that declaration. American Indians and their children did not become citizens until Congress passed the Indian Citizenship Act of 1942, which would have been redundant if the 14th Amendment extended citizenship to every person in the United States, no matter what the circumstances of the birth of their or, or their parent, right? I mean, you wouldn't even have needed the Indian Naturalization Act if the version of the 14th Amendment that the broad birthright citizenship lobby supports were, in fact, the operative thinking around what that term meant and what the legal consequences were. So it's clear, the unqualified birthright citizenship has never been the intent of the 14th Amendment. Our country is suffering under this absurd interpretation now. There's not a serious country on earth that would allow open borders and then grant citizenship to the children of every alien that decided to creep into the territory. And it's time that Congress got serious about fixing this problem. It's why I've introduced the legislation to end birthright citizenship by fraud. Illegal immigrants right now are crossing our borders. They're having kids, and they're staying for life, taking advantage of chain migration to bring over relatives. And this is what really gets me. Some of this birthright citizenship by fraud that occurs on the U.S.-Mexico border results in the person having a child in the United States, moving back to Mexico, where it's cheaper to live, and then sending their kids across the border every day to attend American schools, get benefits under America's social services, and taking advantage of American taxpayers by crowding out Americans. Birth tourism. If you haven't heard that term, get used to it. It was really an exploding feature of the black market where people come in on temporary visas to have their babies in order to take advantage of our immigration laws. This black market is rampant in U.S. territories particularly, with more births going on every year to foreign visitors than to the native-born residents in some of those places. You see it every day. You see it on the border. You see it in our communities. Our country is being invaded. The whole world is laughing at us, taking advantage of us and our foolish immigration laws. We cannot be victims of a stupid loophole derived from a misinterpretation of the 14th Amendment. No one really believes that this is what our founders intended. We don't need a constitutional amendment. All we need to do is amend existing law, and that's why I'm leading this fight. Call your congressman. Tell them to vote for the End Birthright Citizenship by Fraud Act of 2023. And if we do this, maybe we can restore some sanity to this crazy place. All right. I want to bring you up to date regarding another matter in Florida Apparently, a great deal of drugs are washing up on our beaches more than we've seen in prior years. Take a look and listen to this report. You won't believe what washed up on Neptune Beach this morning. Did you get it here? There was pot, just marijuana all up and down here. Surprise, there wasn't a bunch of hippies on the beach picking it up. <laughs> Tons of loose, unpackaged marijuana washed onto shore, enough to cover parts of the shoreline near Florida Boulevard. Brian Cruz says it looked like a scene out of a TV show. 
you know, watching shows, I don't know from personal experience, but watching shows, I mean, it's probably, it prob if it had been all put together compacted, it probably would have been uh, like probably five or ten pounds. Neptune Beach Police Department posted these photos on Facebook, warning people not to try and pick it up or take it home. It looks a lot like sargasm, so it's easy to confuse. But Zach West just knew something was off when he looked at it. He took a whiff for validation. I mean, I did pick it up and smell it to see what it smelled like, and it was sweet, so I was like, okay, that's kind of crazy. Once he confirmed that it's Beach Bud, his mom called 911. But me and my mom were kind of concerned just because, uh, you know, they're babies and they get it. And nowadays, you know, they lace it with fentanyl, and so they could have picked it up and there could have been fentanyl in it, and the baby just dropped dead. Yeah. Nobody around with Narcan. Officers eventually came out to the beach and cleaned it up. No word yet on who it belongs to or how it got there. But some speculate it happened during high tide. We are back live. No one knows yet who it belongs to, how it got there. So this has been a part of the Florida lore for decades. What happens, the growers of marijuana who are often outside the country, oftentimes in the Caribbean or in the Sinaloa Mountains, they then utilize small planes to go and drop bales offshore with tracking devices, homing devices. And then oftentimes late at night, maybe it's a fisherman looking to make a little extra money. Maybe it's just a smuggler with a pleasure craft. They go out and pick up these bales and bring them onto shore where they're loaded onto cars and trucks, sometimes even rail, and distributed. So we used to call these the square grouper. You know, people would see the uh, large square bale. And uh, if folks in Florida in the like 1970s, 1980s ever said they were going grouper fishing, a question they would sometimes get is whether that was for square grouper. And if it was, well, they were not in the business of catching the traditional type of fish that you and I would eat. The serious point to be made here is that we are seeing an increase in the utilization of the Florida Straits for illicit behavior Go back and watch the Don't Haiti My Florida episode where we chronicled what we learned from the Coast Guard about the Florida Straits being used to move people, being used to move drugs. And while there's an intense amount of focus on what's going on in the southwest border, which there should be because that affects every state, in Florida we have unique vulnerabilities and I think we need to have a unique law enforcement presence, a strategy, utilization of technology to ensure that uh, we are not vulnerable to cartels utilizing our beautiful, permissive beaches for otherwise malign activity. The next story I want to talk to you about is one of tragedy at the Obama residence in Martha's Vineyard, where the chef for the Obamas has drowned. According to the Daily Mail, Tafari Campbell, a personal chef for the Obamas, died in a paddleboarding accident at their Martha Vineyard, Martha's Vineyard estate. Campbell was 45 years old. He had previously worked in the White House during the Bush presidency and continued with the Obamas after they left office. Campbell had been working for the Obama family for 14 years, first in the White House and then privately. And this tragic incident occurred when Campbell was apparently paddleboarding and he was seen falling off the paddleboard, becoming completely submerged in eight feet of water. It is unclear who Campbell was with at the time of the accident. A 911 call describes Campbell as wearing all black and not wearing a life jacket, which is just an odd detail that somebody on a paddleboard in the middle of a pond uh, wouldn't be wearing a life jacket. It remains unclear whether Campbell suffered any kind of medical episode while on the board. 
Additionally, the Obamas stated that they were not home at the time of the accident. They later clarified that they were on Martha's Vineyard. They were on the island, just not at their residence. Uh, Campbell's wife, Sharice, expressed her grief on Instagram, stating that her heart is broken and their family's life is forever changed. The couple shared twin 19-year-old sons. Users on social media are pointing to a video of Campbell previously swimming in a pool, saying it was strange how a, how a guy swimming in a pool uh, would drown in eight feet of water in a pond where you wouldn't see the type of current that might otherwise take down a strong swimmer. Now, it's important to note for context, in this video, he's swimming in a very controlled setting, shallow water, lifeguards nearby, certainly not out of the ordinary for someone with minimal swimming skills to be able to swim in that type of a setting while still finding a tragic fate somewhere else. Uh, we certainly send our thoughts, our wishes, our prayers, and uh, our heartfelt condolences to all those that are impacted by this tragedy, and, and particularly uh, the family members of the deceased. Oddly, Hillary Clinton's former chef died in a drowning as well. What are the odds? Former White House chef Walter Scheib, 61, accidentally drowned in New Mexico, presumably on a fishing trip in 2015. He was last seen Saturday, June 13th, before he headed to a hiking trail um, at the Taos Ski Valley. There was cell phone data that showed that he was last seen in the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, and his body was found Sunday, June 14th. He was submerged in a mountain drainage ditch, and there was flowing surface runoff, indicating that the cause of death was a drowning. Scheib was a former White House chef for 11 years under Presidents Bill Clinton and George W. Bush. He did not tell anyone where he was going when he went to the trail, but a lot of folks believed he had gone there to fish. Certainly an odd turn of events and a tragic one. We are glad that something else making the news right now did not end in tragedy. Everywhere on the internet right now, we're seeing that Bronny James, the son of LeBron James, suffered a cardiac arrest while working out with the USC basketball team. He was taken to a hospital, and it sounds like things were dire. He's in stable condition now, which we're certainly grateful for. Um, but if, if you go look at like the, the Bronny James, this is a world-class athlete. World-class athlete in high school, perfect physical condition, goes off to USC, is likely a one-and-what they call in the NBA a one-and-done player, one year in college and then immediately to the pros. And LeBron James, in a lot of interviews, has been pretty candid that one of his life goals is to play in the NBA alongside his son. I don't know if that's ever happened before. Certainly, when you look at how elite of an athlete you have to be in today's NBA, the ability for a father-son duo to team up at all, much less be effective, really defies the odds. But you look at the choices LeBron James has made regarding his own physical fitness, keeping himself in shape, managing his workload to be able to play with his son. You look at Bronny James, who probably has had the benefit of, well, the greatest tutor and teacher you could ever imagine in LeBron, um, a physical specimen, and, and to see something so sudden uh, around the heart for someone in their teens uh, is, is certainly something that, uh, that is hard to watch because you don't typically associate that type of an ailment with someone that is in like the peak human physical condition. And oddly, we've seen it before. We saw it with Buffalo Bills defensive back, Damar Hamlin. Uh, we've seen it with uh, Sergio Aguero, Christian Erickson, soccer players who uh, had 
cardiac issues. One had to be resuscitated at the pitch. Others have had to make you know, different career choices. We also saw what happened with DeMar Hamlin. So whatever it is um, that is ailing these young men in near-perfect physical condition, um, we hope it's something that's resolved, but it's something we're certainly going to pay a good deal of attention to. As we typically do, we're going to take a look at an incident going on in the world right now. Many of you know that I've been a strong advocate to get the United States out of the conflict in Syria. We are not invited there. Our reason for being in Syria has largely dissolved with changing geopolitical circumstances. And the point I've made over and over about Syria is that with Iran there, with Russia there, with a lot of great power competition playing out in this very small desert country, there is a high probability for escalatory accident. Escalatory accident. We do not want to see World War III break out over some sand dune in Syria. The United States uh, Department of Defense has recently released uh, and declassified information where a Russian jet harassed an MQ-9 Predator drone from the United States that was flying. And, and here, if you're watching, you can see this is the Russian jet approaching the drone and it gets very close and thereafter actually gets in front of the drone and deploys a series of flares. One of those flares ends up striking the propeller of the drone and, and causing damage to it. This is very contested airspace. Uh, you've got a lot of activity going on there. And you can only imagine if instead of a drone that had been some sort of manned system, uh, what could have possibly occurred and, and what that could have started for the sake of the world, certainly for the worse. I don't know what we're trying to win in Syria. I don't know why it's worth bumping around Russian aircraft uh, in this place in the Middle East. And I certainly think that wiser heads should prevail. The last time we had a vote on this question, I only had a couple dozen Republicans hang with me. A great many more of them wanted to keep a national emergency in place that gaslights a lot of your money to Syria and certainly undergirds the argument that we have to continue to maintain some sort of military presence there. We don't. Those who tell you we do, I think, uh, adhere to a more neoconservative theory that I think has largely resulted in misadventures for our country, and we can make sounder decisions going forward. Uh, this is going to be a big week. Tomorrow, we've got Mayorkas. We've got the UFO hearings. Um, that's going to be significant. If you've got suggestions for questions you want to see me ask, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, leave them in the comments. I'll leave them in the review section. Uh, I crowdsource questions a good amount going into these. And, and on the UFOs as well, my colleagues Ana Paulina Luna, Tim Burchett, Jared Moskowitz are all teaming up for a bipartisan briefing about some of these. Uh, they, I guess now they're not UFOs, they're UAPs, the Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon. I've seen some things that uh, I'm certainly not aware uh, of capabilities for humans, uh, for some of the things I've seen. And we may learn a lot. Thanks so much for joining us. Make sure you are subscribed. Make sure that if you're watching on YouTube or Rumble, you click that bell. That's the way you get a notification every time we go live so that you get the news first. Appreciate you being with us. We'll be back soon. Roll the credits.